This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 625 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm the internet's Joe Patrick and your head number one this week. And I am your head number two, but my name is Matt Baum. When we are not reviewing new comics, we like to pick a theme for our Cosmic Longbox episodes and talk about old comics, characters, and storylines. This week on the show, we're celebrating Pride Month with a look at some LGBTQ plus characters from a time when comics weren't so inclusive. And then we're going to set you up with our must-read picks for next week's pile. So grab a cocktail or a mocktail, if that's your jam, and hope you like really loud bounce music, because the Cosmic Long Box is about to send us over the Rainbow Bridge and into the queer comic time stream. Matt. Everybody in Asgard. They're all gay. Why? I bet you didn't know that. For the first time I can remember, the big two have both released Pride issues celebrating their LGBTQIA plus characters and their allies. Sadly, it is a bold move that slaps the face of an angry and loud fanboy contingent that doesn't like to admit these characters have always been here. So today, we're looking at several different queer characters throughout comic history. Joe Patrick, why don't you kick us off? Alpha Flight 106 from Marvel Comics 1992 is the book in question, and in case the title didn't give it away, this issue centers around Northstar, who for at least a little while, was the most well-known gay character in comics. Jean-Paul Bobier is a Canadian mutant and founding member of Alpha Flight, though he hangs his hat on Krakoa with the rest of the X-Men these days. He's got superhuman speed, flight and reflexes, and the ability to generate intense flashes of light while maintaining physical contact with his sister Aurora. I don't know what it is with Marvel and their desire to have mutants that have to touch their sisters. Just Fenris, the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so just weird. like, okay. I mean, and it's not weird unless you make it weird, but it's kind of weird. Well, and they kind of got rid of it too, because Aurora died a couple times and Northstar still had power. Well, I know, so. I, think they're st- I think they can still do it. Yeah. Northstar was the first character to come out in the pages of Marvel Comics and his wedding to his husband, Kyle, in 2012 was the first ever depiction of a same-sex wedding in mainstream comics. Long story short, Northstar was the trailblazer for queer characters in mainstream comics, and this is where it all started. While battling Mr. Hyde with Alpha Flight in Toronto, Northstar discovers an abandoned baby girl in a nearby trash can. What follows is a whirlwind tale of love and loss, the misplaced rage of a grief-stricken father, and social commentary about the AIDS epidemic <laughs> at a time when it was still at a fever pitch. It was all here, too. I mean, they went. They were like, you know what? We're doing this. We're doing this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not, they weren't fooling around. No. <laughs> it would be easy to say that Scott Labdell handles the subject matter with his usual lack of subtlety, and that is true. But that's really more a symptom of needing to get through it all in a single issue than it is a dig at his writing. And I get it. Like, yeah. Marvel wanted to do the issue, but they're like, well, I don't know if we're going to do six issues on it. No. And so it's as heavy handed as it can possibly be. But I sure. mean, like, they got to right. cram it in there. Yeah. 
And it was a little weird. There was some weirdness with like, okay, I get why dad is upset. It's a thing. He had a gay son, died of AIDS. Yeah. But now yeah, you I mean, want to kill really a gonna, baby? I mean, I guess we can spoil it. I, <laughs> I wasn't really spoil- getting into the into the details, but. Oh, no. Spoil um, the hell out of it. You, you kind of have to. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. So uh, Major Maple Leaf, who was a character. Uh, I know. Not gay, by the way. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so Major Maple Leaf was a, was a Canadian superhero that fought alongside, uh, that occasionally fought alongside the invaders. He was not a member of the invaders. Right. Because he was Canadian. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he did, he did team up with the invaders on a number of occasions during World War II. Uh, he had a son, uh, a son who was, who happened to be gay and who died of AIDS. And when North Star and his uh, new baby, which is another thing that I thought was weird, the speed at which uh, North Star becomes a legal father. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's Canada. So maybe the rules. Are I different. mean, I, I know, know that he's a super speedster, but come on. <laughs> I mean, they did make her a part of the team, too. So maybe that factor did. Well, unofficial. <laughs> yeah. They were like unofficial mascot or unofficial yeah. member of the team. Uh, anyway, none of that. None of that matters. It's not important. It, it's just uh, it, it is what it is. And they do make some time jumps. They say it in the story. But anyway, Major Maple Leaf's son died of AIDS. And so when he sees the media embracing North Star, caring for this poor AIDS stricken, abandoned infant when his son died alone. And and, you know, judged and mistreated for his orientation and his illness. He friggin' snaps. He decides to kill a baby. He wants to kill the baby. He decides <laughs> which, to kill a baby and attacks the hospital little, where Alpha know, Flight is watching it, over the baby. Doesn't that, couldn't they have like just shifted it ever so slightly and just be like, he wants to kill North Star? Wouldn't that make a little more sense? Well, he does switch. He does switch gears and decide to kill North Star when he finds out. Yes, I guess. North Star is gay. Yeah, and it's a man. It's a coming out like no other coming out. It's like one. Yeah, panel, there's an explosion. There's an electric guitar riff because I'm gay. <laughs> right, like, and whoa. then uh, right, and then from there, Major Maple Leaf is like, "You son of a bitch! Yeah. My son died when you could have been out here." being like the poster child for it's being okay to it's okay to be gay yeah, see, and that's the weird part like major maple leaf does not have a problem with his son being gay he has a problem no, no, with no, the he's fact- mad that his son yeah he's mad he's mad at the way his son was treated right. because of the way he was and the, and not just that but also the fact that like aids doesn't care about your sexuality and nobody seems to understand that and he was well, yeah but away. people didn't get that back then especially right. back when major maple leaf's son died no but it seemed like major maple leaf totally understands that and is really well it's it's john paul that says it right that's not true. major maple leaf. but he agrees um, and he's like you could have been out here showing everybody that like there right, are gay heroes right. and stuff so he's very open-minded He's just so mad he wants to kill a baby he's, with he AIDS. Is, he, is, he is quite literally mad with grief. And so, you know, yeah. uh, I was actually impressed with the way Labdell wove the story together. Major Maple Leaf's tragic son and Jean-Paul's new daughter. Uh, I liked how Alpha Flight stood behind North Star in complete support. They took up his cause as totally. their own. Uh, the story really has no villain except a society that would shun others for their differences, even in the mythical land of Canada. And Mr. Hyde. Well, Mr. Hyde, but he's not really the villain of the story. <laughs> yeah. He gets thumped uh, pretty quick by Sasquatch. So. Yeah, right. Uh, the art by Mark Pasella. Oh, man. Uh, it's, it's art. It's nineties art. Oh, it's nineties art. And while it is mostly very bad, it's terrible. Uh, there are some, there are some great moments where Pasella's talent shines through what must have been a company mandate to mimic Rob Liefeld at all costs. Oh yeah. 
following the image exodus. The art is what it is. I also don't entirely blame Pacella for it. Uh, uh, there, again, I mentioned here the proclamation where North Star says, I am gay, and there is an explosion. He flexes and flies away from an explosion. Uh, it's very, it is very, very 90s. But I will say, I was very pleasantly surprised by this issue. It was the first time I'd ever read it. And I had only the only thing I'd ever seen from it was that one panel. Yeah. And so it's easy to sit back and go, look at Marvel. Look at Marvel trying to be relevant. And yes, that's true. They're a giant corporation. That's what that's all it really is. But this issue is way better than I was expecting. And reading it nearly 30 years later. I was pleasantly surprised. I'm yeah. giving it a buy it. It's ham-fisted and pretty ridiculous, but comics were ham-fisted and ridiculous at the time. So yeah. I feel like Scott Lobdell handled this probably the best way you could yeah, at I the mean, time. It's an after-school special. In a slam-bang superhero comic that looks like it may have been drawn by Rob Liefeld if you squint your eyes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, and like I read this back in the day. I forgot, again, like, like you said, how in your face it is when he came out. And I read the Marvel Voices Pride book and it they like it starts with a story where it's like it all started with north star and they just have this panel of him like i am gay <laughs> and i was like oh yeah i forgot that's what it was yeah. <laughs> so like my mom my mom used to get people in the magazine she used to pick it up at the grocery store every time we went to albertson's or whatever and uh shout out to albertson's defunct local grocery store Th- whatever issue of people magazine it was the month or the week that that issue came out. That's literally the only thing I've ever seen before this week from Alpha Flight 106, other than the cover. Everybody knows the cover. It's an extreme close up of North Star's face. It is so uncomfortable. It's on close. People Magazine? I didn't know that. People Magazine, yeah. They did I a did little blurb about it in People Magazine. Huh. Uh, and yeah, and I was like, oh, huh, how about that? I wasn't reading Alpha Flight. They didn't carry Alpha Flight at the spinner rack where I got my comics. So whatever. I never thought about it again, other than, you know, as in my capacity as comic book jockey and to actually see it and experience it 30 years later. I was like, man, like for 1992. Yeah. They did a pretty damn great job. Your mystique. Something Professor Xavier neglected to tell you. Nice of him, wasn't it? First book I chose is Uncanny X-Men number 255 from Marvel 1989. This features the death of Destiny. Destiny was created by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Her first appearance was in Uncanny 141 back in 1981. Her real name is Irene Adler. She was born visually impaired to a wealthy family in 19th century Salzburg. She old. Austria, right? Salzburg, Austria. She's really old. Uh, sure. I don't know. I'm not looking it up, though. At 13, she developed precognitive mutant powers and started writing them down in a series of diaries. When finished, she was completely blind. And a few years later, she hired Raven Darkholm, a.k.a. Mystique, who's also really crazy old, to help her research her visions of the future, thus beginning a love affair that would end in tragedy. This issue was written by Claremont with art by Mark Silvestri and Dan Green. Murile is under attack by the cyborg Reavers, whose sole mission is mutant genocide. Banshee and Polaris are defending Moira McTaggart's lab. This was secondary mutation Polaris, by the way. After her sister Zaladane stripped her of her magnetic powers in the Savage Wait, Land. They're not sisters, no. Yes, at the time they were sisters. We found out later they weren't. But she thought they were sisters at this time. Good lord. This also separated her from Malice, who had possessed oh, okay. her Whoa. before that. 
And it didn't just do that. It made her tall, super strong, nearly invulnerable, and it made her hair go fucking insane. <laughs> she had this giant, like, flat top thing that went all the way down into a mullet. Yeah, it was like uh, feral hair. Woo! It was something. Yeah, like feral from X-Force hair. I was aware that Claremont had wanted to make Mystique and Destiny a gay couple for years, but Marvel wouldn't let him go further than hinting at their relationship. And yeah, like it's all, it's all like, it's not in the text. It's all subtext. If that, if it's even there, I would argue because he calls, like she calls uh, Irene old friend constantly, like specifically in this comic, but they only do that in front of people. Okay. No, no, no. They're alone. They are like in the back of the plane by themselves when she says that, but they're in a plane with people. They got to play it cool. The hints I mean, are definitely okay, I, here. There's no question. He went as far as to have the two dance in the pages of Marvel Fanfare 40 when Mystique morphs into a man, quote, Eric Raven, so they can dance in public. While it Ooh. sucks Marvel wouldn't let these two out of the closet, it is pretty amazing that they let Claremont get away with as much as he did, creating what is effectively one of the first gay couples in mainstream comics. The death of Destiny is a little odd here. <laughs> because Mystique is carrying her in the end after Forge like shot one of the Reavers and killed him. Legion kills Destiny while in the lab, breaks loose and kills Destiny. And Mystique is super upset, but it's not really clear that Destiny was dead. Yeah, Destiny sent images of her death to Mystique's mind. Yeah, but it wasn't Legion wasn't the one that was gonna kill her. She had predicted it was something else, and then this happened which messes stuff up. And that's a whole thing that they continue in the next issue, which also focuses heavily on Betsy Braddock turning into an Asian assassin. <laughs> so <Hell> yeah, you <laughs> know. that was going on too. It, it just, this was always there. And if you go back and look at it as a kid, I didn't really pick up on it, but I do remember reading it and thinking like these two are way closer than friends. And I don't get it. Like I couldn't put it together. But when you look at it through the lens of, oh, yeah, they were lesbians, it all makes sense because all she does is get in people's faces and like, you better make sure she's OK. If anything happens to her, I'll kill you. And Destiny's like, settle down, friend, please. You know, I care <laughs> for you so much. And she's like, no, there's nothing I won't do to protect you and take care of you. It's like <laughs> they were totally in love. <laughs> sure. No question. Yeah. This gets a huge buy it by the way yeah of course like yeah it's great i mean it's it's peak claremont x-men it's 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 got everything it's got sylvestri it's it's got the reavers who i love it's got lady Deathstrike, uh who you know i tolerate it's got freedom force who i adore oh i fucking love I freedom force love love freedom, freedom force. force yeah it was the best thing they ever did with the blob <laughs> so and freedom like and freedom force it's just a fancy name for the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, totally. guys. Don't yeah. let them fool you. <laughs> what sucks is this is 1989, right? And just four years later, we get to have Northstar come literally screaming out of the closet. And these yeah. two are never, never allowed to come out and fully admit they are gay until like the late 2000s. She's been dead for a really long time, but they like finally revealed like they were married. Yeah. Much, much, much later, yeah, which right. really does and, go to show that, it, like, I was going to say, it really goes to show homosexual men were much more tolerated for a time there than lesbians were. And I still don't quite you know, I understand think that, that is why. true again. And uh, like, please, if, if you choose, you if you feel like you'd like to correct this, please go ahead and do so. But please know that this comes from a place of ignorance, uh, not anything else. It's not a place of ignorance. Um, I do. I do think learn. that it's true. You know? 
that homosexual men were much less demonized than lesbians. At, yeah, at this time, I absolutely. And it's it's bizarre. I don't get it. I don't like it. I think it's Yeah, no, stupid, I don't get it either. And of know? course, like I can't wrap my head around it as a straight dude, but right. like I like I, I don't understand what's different. Yeah. To society, you know, like what what makes one more acceptable than the other? But um, you know, it's bad. It's all around bad that that was the case and uh it's also equally bad. Uh, well, not equally bad, but it's bad in a different way that it is um, the year of our Lord 2021. And we're just now putting out pride one shots because we remembered we have gay characters. Well, oh, and let's not forget that Mystique and fucking Destiny have never even had their honeymoon and shit. And yeah, it's yeah. 2021. Well, she, they died before they were able to get legally married. I know, but like, died before they were able to get legally how many other ex people have died? In I this get time? it. Look, I get it. Um, Back it's, to this issue. Uh, yes, I love this issue. Um, I thought it was a ton of fun. Uh, I can't stress enough how much I love Freedom Force. To, when I saw totally. the Freedom Force show up, I was like, fuck yes. Totally. You know what I love most about Freedom Force? Is they all got little FFs on their shirts. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not the Fantastic Four. Uh, and like uh, Nothing else different about their super villain nope. costumes other than the fact they've got little FFs Same on Same thing their they shirts. always wore. They just get with put a patch on them. There you go. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's like an iron on. Now, buddy. <laughs> oh, I had never read this issue uh, originally. Uh, again, I wasn't a, an X-Men reader back in the day. Uh, but I did read, and I can't remember. It must have been. What year was this? 89? 89. Uh, okay. So it was, it was, I think probably the X-Men annual from this year because it would have been, uh, a, or, or the following year, because it would have been the first year for the new warriors. It would have been the year that X-Force transition, our new mutants transitioned into X-Force. So there was one last new mutants annual and they, there was a four part crossover like they used to do between, uh, X-Factor at, uncanny x-men new warriors and new mutants it was the please and, please please buy new warriors issue of new warriors <laughs> yeah right exactly and so i i had that issue of the, the x-men i had the x-men issue because i wanted to read the whole story i had no idea who it, like i saw i saw freaking she hulk polaris i saw uh i'm pretty sure legions in it like i and i didn't know what the hell i was looking at but whatever and I remember very distinctly there's there was a Freedom Force backup story, which is where my love began. And there was also a backup story where Mystique takes Destiny's ashes out to sea to scatter them. Yeah. And uh, there's this whole, like, I forget all of the, the details of the story except for she throws the ashes overboard and the wind picks them up and blows them back in her face. And Mystique laughs and laughs and laughs because Destiny knew that that was going to happen. And that like stuck with me. That has stuck with me since 1990. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, this is a huge buy, uh, a huge buy it. Even, uh, even a non X-Men fan. I was like, man, she really liked that. that Now it's time for Mystique to burn Krakoa to the ground and get her wife back. All right. I'm I'm rooting for Inferno. Bring it on, baby. It's Vertigo time, baby. Doom Patrol number 70. This came from Vertigo Comics from 1993. Created by writer Rachel Pollock and artist Scott Eaton, this issue features the first appearance of not only Coagula, a transgender lesbian Justice League reject, but the deadly codpiece, 
a dejected <laughs> man that turns his physical insecurities into criminal rage. Yeah, he's an incel, more or less. Oh, man, and it's so great. Uh, Pollock herself, a trans woman, created Coagula, a.k.a. Kate Godwin, based on real-life authors and activists with a background in programming and prostitution, which seems weird if you don't really understand. But when I looked it up, uh, the most common professions for trans women in the early 90s were programming and prostitution. Yeah, because one, people wouldn't ask questions if you're programming and you were quiet and just did your thing. And two, hard to get hired anywhere. So a lot of people found themselves on the street. I mean, it's and, you know, because like, of the way it, that you I, were viewed. I, I hate to say, you know, it again, it was that time. People liked trans ladies even before it was cool to admit it. Yeah, absolutely. So as her name implies, Coagula has the ability to coagulate matter as well as dissolve it, which is kind of difficult to explain, uh, but also not really the point. Through a flashback scene that could probably only exist in the pages of Doom Patrol, Coagula explains that her strange powers developed following a bizarre sexual encounter with the, quote, alchemical hermaphrodite, that quotes from Wikipedia, not from uh, Coagula, known as Rebus, or to you Vertigo DP newbies, negative man, kind of. One of the negative Kind of, negative, (laughs) negative A negative person. Yeah. Uh, She coincidentally stumbles upon the battle between Codpiece and two other bandaged Doom Patrol members Somehow, neither of which are negative man, woman, rebus, or other. Nope. Well, I guess they're other. She dispatches the villain in a very fitting fashion. Uh, You can just kind of picture it in your mind what she does to his codpiece. And uh, (laughs) is invited to join the team. I had seen many jokes about codpiece online over the years. He always comes up as like, the lamest characters. It's codpiece. Right. This was the first time I actually encountered him in a story. I had no idea where he actually originated. Uh, But of course, it makes perfect sense if you think about it. I enjoyed the very matter-of-fact way that Pollock handled Coagula's story. Her transgender status or past as a sex worker aren't played for drama points. She is who she is, and that's it, which is pretty in line with the Vertigo philosophy. She's even even wearing a button that says, like, put a transgendered lesbian on the Supreme Court. I was like, fuck yeah. yeah." (laughs) Uh, And everything about Codpiece is an absolute trip. He's got the quiver of trick arrows equivalent to phallic weaponry, and he ain't afraid to use. This is a a visual spoiler. I apologize, but the second... Codpiece fired what is essentially a boxical of arrow out of his giant mechanical penis. <laughs> I laughed and I did not stop laughing until the issue was over. Because <laughs> he does it more than once. It was also fun to see Scott Eden drawing this story, considering I primarily know him as a mainstream superhero artist. Yeah. That's, that's weird. Uh, now, while I did enjoy Doom Patrol 70, and I did very much, I will say that I felt the barrier of entry for non-readers seemed pretty steep. Fans of the show will see familiar characters like Cliff and Dorothy in passing, but that's it. To compare it to Alpha Flight or even Uncanny X-Men, Alpha Flight, uh, both of which I guess were titles that I had not been reading at the time. Obviously, I know a lot more about right. both now. But even even with Alpha Flight, like I had no idea who half of those characters were when I read this when I read that issue. I thought that my lack of familiarity with the Doom Patrol situation was a slight hindrance. 
which is the only reason I'm giving it a skim it because it is well done in every regard. I just think that, hey, maybe give it a look-see before you decide if you want to read it. I don't. I don't think you need to qualify it like that at all because it just does a job and it does it well. It's Rachel Pollock who it, it does an excellent job telling the story of like where lame supervillains come from. Guess what? They're guys with little dicks. You know, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and, sure. I just And we get to know, see a lesbian trans woman like put this guy with a little dick in his place is fucking rad. And this is what Doom Patrol and like, look, this isn't Morrison's right. Doom Patrol. All right, fair. All right, fair. I'm, you, you convinced me. I'm changing it. It's yeah. It. I mean, this isn't Morrison's Doom Patrol at the time. So it's not part of like a much larger, weird Doom Patrol story. They reference some characters that I didn't recognize either. But the heart is here. The story is here. The character yeah. is great. And who better to put this insole shithead in his place? Than a transgendered lesbian. I, I guess. All right. All I right. Fair. I'm, so I'm going to give it a buy it, but I am going to can I am going to keep that caveat because like, yeah, no, like there, I there has to that. I mean, that has to be said. That has to be stated. Like I read this issue and I'm like, I have no idea who the fuck these two bandaged people are. But why no, does this I woman agree. have tiny little monsters? But in her we're purse? also here to talk about the character in this book. Yes, you know, this I, but we're so also a... reviewing a comic book. Next up, I've got Jenny Sparks, The Secret History of the Authority, number two from DC Wildstorm. This was from the year 2000. This one follows Apollo and the Midnighter before they join the Authority. The two characters were created by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. Their first appearance was Stormwatch, volume two, number four. They were sort of created as a Superman and Batman homage, but they were in a homosexual relationship. This was written by Mark Millar with art by John McRae. Now, by this time, DC had acquired Wildstorm but was still treating it as a separate imprint in its own Wildstorm U. That said, they also weren't afraid to pull some good old DC editorial decisions here and there. This mini was given to Miller and McRae to set up the Authority characters before they were the team that took over for Stormwatch. Paul Levitz was the EIC at the time, and according to John Lehman, who was a Wildstorm editor for DC, he didn't get Apollo and the Midnighter. He just saw them as mean-spirited, and gay Batman and Superman. So a panel that featured a kiss in this comic book was changed to show Midnighter wishing his lover Apollo well before a fight by saying, good luck, old friend. Now, I can't confirm this, but that sure does feel like a nod to Chris Claremont, okay? <laughs> Keep it Probably, well, I mean, it could be, I guess. Mystique and Destiny constantly referred to each other as old friend, and we all knew, all right? Keep in mind. I, I, and, and yet we were totally cool with the engineer having huge metal nipples. Of course. Like, I'm looking right at it. She's got gigantic round metal nipples. But not to mention the fact that these two were way out of the closet. This was not a secret that they were gay. We just couldn't have a panel where they kiss. It's, it's unacceptable. This mini was everything Joe hates about Mark Miller, and it does come off as sophomorically shocking at times, with Jenny Sparks drinking and sleeping with anything that moves and constantly talking about it. The Apollo and Midnighter are breaking up a worldwide satanic child abuse ring that is eerily right out of current Q fan fiction. McRae's art is strange at best here, with inks by James Hodgkins and his Hitman series was like in the 50s right at this point, right? And I yeah. really liked his art there. I did not like this art. Okay, see, but I'm looking at this art and it is exactly the same. See, and I looked at them side by side and I don't know. Yeah, I think no, it's just I mean, the inking. Maybe the inker is different. Yeah. But, like the inks might be different, but the art is the same. I think the, I think the inking changed it for me. 
this was a weird time for Wildstorm, and while DC wasn't necessarily straight-washing Apollo in Midnighter, they also weren't very keen or interested in gay representation either. I'm giving this book a skim it, because it wasn't great, but I do think the story of them literally taking that gay kiss out of the book and making them redraw and write one panel is very interesting. It, it was what it was. It was a, it was a late 90s early 2000 Mark Miller Wildstorm Authority comic. Right. It's Mark exactly Miller, the way it's exactly the way his his run on the main series was. Yeah. Miller at his shittiest, you know. Yeah, and and you know what, you know, we at the time, you know, we liked it, even I thought it was okay. I did. You know. Yeah, revisiting it, like I had obviously read this before because I was a huge fan of the Authority back then. And uh you, so I haven't read this in years. And so, you know, I was I I wasn't too shocked by anything I found that shit about the, the kiss. I do remember very vividly the drama about it's just so the wild. depiction of Apollo. And I don't think it was so. Here's what I remember. The speculation being it wasn't so much the fact that it was a, a gay couple. It was the fact that they were Superman and Batman. Yeah, that, that, that was Paul Levitt's problem. He's like, yeah. well, I mean, they're Superman and, and Batman. And so and like, no. Yeah, and so it's like, it's kiss. not it's not like we can't have these two men kiss. It's like, we can't have Superman and Batman kiss. Uh, it was definitely part of it was, we can't have these two men kiss. That was, we can't have these two men that represent Superman and Batman kiss specifically. Uh, I think it was both. I mean, to tell you the truth. So. Uh, I see. I, I don't know if I agree. I, I think that it was purely like cover your ass, protect our cash cows kind of like Paul Levitz. Paul Levitz was the editor of, it was the guy that steered the ship at DC for many many years and there were lots of gay characters at dc i i don't disagree but they weren't they were gay in note only they weren't allowed yes, to represent uh, okay, or okay, be gay right and that and and that might be uh, that might be a s- symptom of many reasons uh, but i don't think paul levitz had an anti-gay agenda i think he had an anti depicting superman and batman as gay agenda. i'm not seeing an anti-gay agenda i'm saying they wanted gay characters because that was hot at the time but they did not want to represent gay things on the page now i'm not saying there's not some of what you're talking about i think with apollo and midnighter it's all about the fact that they are superman and batman analogs oh sure but it's still it's also still a representation thing it's like you can't have one without the other and that's, oh, I, yes, I agree with and you. And that's 100%. one of the things that's like, people call it that, that article that I tweeted last week about Krakoa, people are calling them out. They're saying like, all right, you said this, we're going to do this thing and Krakoa is going to be very queer friendly. And we've hinted at it and that's about it. You know, like we've had no real yeah, representation, yeah, yeah, nope. you know, that's the only shame about it. It's you're, you're not, you're not at all wrong. It's it, uh, all it, it, again. It's like we said at the beginning, like, if you think that a comic book company uh, is being motivated by an altruistic desire to foster real change. Oh, sure. You are fooling yourself because right. they are motivated by one thing and that's money. Yeah. I mean, look at all these different like major companies that are like putting out like, you know, rainbow versions of their product. And yeah. Shit. You know, and how then many they directly change their logos to pride donated to anti-gay. Right. They immediately donate to the GOP or something, you know, yeah, I mean, right. yes. Okay. It's, it's, I see you working. A sham. <laughs> uh, look to the creators for this, not right. to the companies. Yes. Uh, oh, so my rating is a skimming. <laughs> Sorry. It was a long way to go for that. Shazam. We're sticking to Wildstorm for our next one. It's Promethea number seven. This is also from Wildstorm from the year 2000. 
The title was part of Alan Moore's America's Best Comics imprint at Wildstorm. It began in 1999 alongside such greats as Top Ten and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The simplest explanation I can give Promethea is that uh, Promethea is basically a being that channels the power of story and imagination. Yeah. And while there have been a number of Prometheas over the centuries and the series itself focuses on Sophie, the modern day incarnation, this particular issue belongs to William Wolcott, the gay creator of Promethea's comic book adventures the person who held the role of Promethea for the longest and the only man ever to do so. Promethea is the sort of comic that doesn't really lend itself to the normal comic podcast level of research. Like there's no entry for powers and abilities on the Wikipedia page. She's an idea. Promethea's an idea. Yes, right. Well, I mean, it's not just that, but yes. No one has ever wondered if Promethea uh, could ever beat Wolverine in a fight. And as I say this, I realize that that's probably not actually true. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Promethea was like an idea for the time she existed in and she was what yeah. we needed her to be. You yes. Know? I'm not talking. I'm not talking about the character of Promethea. Right. I'm talking about like the comic, the actual comic book Promethea. Like you're not going to find like a. Like, here's a breakdown of the continuity of each sure, issue. Of, sure. No, it, that's not what Promethea is. Alan Moore is doing a different thing here, for certain. Yes, right. Promethea is all about stories. This one is Bill Wolcott's. As Bill, as Promethea, escorts an unconscious Sophie through the Immateria, which is the plane of existence from which Promethea draws her power, Sophie learns of Bill's time as Promethea and his tragic fate. Uh, Bill came from a time where society wasn't so forgiving of the quote-unquote confirmed bachelor lifestyle, and we learn that his unique status as a man that transforms into a magical goddess gave him an opportunity for love that normally wouldn't have been possible and how quickly it was snatched away. Moore's script is really wonderful here. The way he has Bill tenderly and patiently escorting Sophie through the story is very sweet, as is Bill's reaction uh, to how his story ends. Meanwhile, in the material world, the typical Alan Moore insanity ensues with mayors with split personalities, (laughs) science heroes, bomb-flinging mime clowns, and weeping gorillas. Weeping Gorilla Comics. (laughs) Weeping Gorilla Comics was a recurring joke. Uh, I know for sure it was in the pages of Promethea. I don't remember if it was in any of the other ABC books. I think it was. I think it did pop up here and there. And it's like uh, something maybe. like, like a, don't add us. The fun thing about uh, Weeping Gorilla Comics is that all you would see is a billboard advertising Weeping Gorilla Comics. And it would be a Weeping Gorilla thinking a different thought every time. And this issue, the thought was, I just think we expect too much of George Lucas. <laughs> and I laughed and I laughed and I laughed because that sort of shit, you don't expect it's it great. from Alan Moore. It's great. The art by, uh, oh, uh, the science heroes are called the five swell guys and one of them is a woman. <laughs> uh, which is just wonderful. Uh, the art by J.H. Williams, uh, the three transforms from page to page as we are very much used to with him. Uh, eventually, it gives way to Fumetti-style photo art. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with that term, Fumetti is an Italian word. It, it means photo art. Uh, it's all completely breathtaking, of course, and there's a fun little credits uh, page on the letters, or uh, credits section on the letters page. 
uh, where it uh, says who played all the parts in the photo sections. Again, Promethea number seven presents a situation that could have been confusing to non-readers. And I, though I did uh, change my review on Doom Patrol, I wrote this while I, I was still giving that a skimmit. So while there are some real world shenanigans going on, this issue is really all about Bill's time as Promethea. Uh, I gave up on this series pretty early back in the day, but I really enjoyed revisiting it with this issue. I'm giving this a buy it, and I'm not saying I'm going to definitely go back and reread all of Promethea because I know that it, it, like, even though it's only 30 issues, it's a lot. I loved Promethea, and it, it was Alan Moore like at his most meta telling a story about where the imagination to make a hero comes from and the magic behind that imagination. And in this world, it just happens to be real. And William Walcott was a man that felt trapped inside his body and uh, thought of himself as a woman. And it was his imagination that freed him and allowed him to become Promethea. And, and see, I didn't even read it as that. I don't think that Bill considered himself a woman. I think that it was just like does. Bill took advantage of the fact that he could become a woman. Are you kidding me? Because he, he fell says, in love with a straight guy. But he says, like, he couldn't find any of this joy in his life. And this was- He this wasn't like a man's man because he was he was as gay as a- he was what's the, what's he the felt trapped he in a woman's in a woman's body. No, or in a man's body. No question. Okay, but that's transgender, and that's <laughs> yes. not how it reads. Like he doesn't consider. I, he doesn't say he's transgender. He, he doesn't say it. No, but he says he was more than overjoyed when he was a woman, and he got to do these things as a woman, and it was the best well, yeah, part of his life. Yeah, you know, yes, that's what is more transgender than that. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's, that, that's just not how I read it. I, I read it. As, I read it as. I read it as him having the power to be free because he did not have the same restrictions as Promethea. I as guess he did I as Bill. totally agree with you, but I would say that makes him transgendered in this case. And when this other person finds out, they are like so shocked and upset about it. They murder him for it. And I mean, that is the case for men that were tried to be transgendered back in this time. It was, it, you had to hide. It was worse than being gay. You were even outcast in gay society. Promethea was always this character that was like more, that was the sum of, you know, the imagination and female power and all this stuff. And here was a male who was essentially the guy that created Wonder Woman, more or less. I mean, yeah, kind of. And he envisioned a very much pansexual Wonder Woman as well. And DC was like, we're not doing that. And he's like, all right, fine. I'll just have her get tied up again in this issue <laughs> you know, for the bondage freaks <laughs> for or whatever. Sure. But Promethea was a wonderful book, and this is a very cool ex like exploration of a man that doesn't feel like he's a man and feels better in a woman's body with supreme women's power and stuff. And oh, I loved it. Massive buy it. This is Alan Moore working at his cleverest before he got really pissed off and started doing like Cthulhu shit and like, <laughs> you know, sending Alice in Wonderland into porn that, movies, you know, you know? That dude was doing shape of water style nonsense <laughs> with, Cthulhu, with Cthulhu monsters yeah. before Ooh. it was cool. Everything's Archie. Moving right along to Archie comics, because where else do you go from Promethea? I am happy to talk to you about Veronica number 202 from 2010. This is the first appearance of Kevin Keller. Kevin Keller was created by Dan Parent, who always intended to have an openly gay character. And he approached Archie C, co-CEO at that time, John Goldwater, 
And Goldwater said, I love it. And Goldwater came right out and said, yes, let's desensitize the stigma behind homosexuality and establish Riverdale as a modern city where discrimination does exist, but is not encouraged or welcome. And I cannot think of a more positive way to do this. I mean, like Archie just came right out yeah. and said, fuck it. We're doing it and went for it. This is written and drawn by Dan Parent. There's a new hot guy in town and he's having a hamburger eating contest with Jughead at Pops and Veronica. Well, she's going to make her his smoke it, Archie. Only problem is Kevin isn't interested in her because he's gay. What's a girl to do but quickly realize this guy has an amazing taste in clothes, unlike the girl next door, Betty. So Veronica and Kevin become best friends and the rest is history. Parent goes out of his way to keep this comic book the generic, feel-good, humorous, Archie schlock that Joe loves and I really can't stand. And he does this while effortlessly introducing the first gay member of the Archie cast. While a lot of other comics made a spectacle of their new gay character, or making an existing character gay, Parent is so gentle in his execution, Kevin just fits perfectly in with the gang, and he's so popular that this issue would go on to be the first Archie comic to ever be reprinted in the history of the franchise. And Archie, keep in mind, at this point, had been around for 70 plus years, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I am not an Archie fan, but this should be the model of how to effectively introduce a gay character. Consider the cast, consider the readership, look at the tone of the book, and make the new character just another adorable member of the gang. This is just a buy it. This is probably the most positive way I think I've ever seen this done. Yeah, no, it's, uh, of course, like, the, that's, the, that's the thing about Riverdale, about Archie. L let, me, let me back up. Riverdale, the fictional town, right? Uh, not to be confused with Riverdale, the TV show. Well, even where Riverdale, very the show things happen. Did a very good job of it though, and it had a compelling story with like the biker. Yeah, look, no, I'm not saying that Riverdale is not on a great the show. download and stuff. But like, River, Riverdale, the town, the Archie Comics town of Riverdale, is this kind of idealized American city where yeah. all people are welcome, even the nerds are cool. Even if sometimes they get made fun of, but when they get made fun of, the people that make fun of them are the assholes. You know, it's like Riverdale is the perfect place to live. We've got you it. are a little different. <laughs> We've got it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just saying, stop it. Stop that. Stop trying to shut me down. I'm just, just saying everybody out. knows what Riverdale is. Come on. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, of course, of course, when they got around to introducing a gay character, he's just there. He's yeah. just there. He's gay. Not only is he fashionista, but he's also down to have an eating contest. And he's also very excited about the new number one uh, issue of Bloodbath City with the variant cover. Yeah. I mean, you like, know, literally, and he rushes off with Jughead to the comic This character is just like you or me or anybody in the pages of this. You know, he just also happens to be gay. Yeah, no, this is great. I love Archie Comics. I have always loved Archie Comics. And I'm not saying that they've always been this inclusive. Uh, oh, absolutely. Not. But but definitely for a long time now, Archie Comics has been at the forefront of uh, of just being tolerant and inclusive. Well, they made a turn. They, absolute buy it. And they went from washed up 60s dated white bread humor comics to this inclusive, more realistic and poignant Archie. And it was absolutely for the best. I'm telling you, Archie Comics, 
They're a bastion of good in this world. Hi, gang. Got any ideas on how to raise some quick cash? Well, stick around. We may need them. My final review is of Gotham Central number six from DC Comics. The year was 2003. Renee Montoya was created by Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, and Mitch Bryan for Batman the Animated Series, and they preemptively introduced her into mainstream comics before the airing of her animated debut in 1992. Flash forward almost 30 years, and the character has long since surpassed her animated counterpart. As time would pass, Renee would become a major player in the Bat family of titles, eventually succeeding Vic Sage as the question during the 52 weekly event series. But this is about Renee, the detective, and her unhealthy relationship with the deranged Two-Face. For those who haven't heard us gushing about it on the show before, Gotham Central was a Batman title without Batman, mostly. Focusing on the GCPD, specifically the Central Precinct, home of Jim Gordon, and the only uncorrupted, again, mostly, branch of the force. <laughs> I was going to say, well. <laughs> mostly. Except mostly. for when it was corrupt. Except for the rare occasions when, when it was corrupt. In previous issues, Renee had been framed for murder and outed as a lesbian against her will. Now the villain stands revealed as Two-Face, a character that has been obsessed with Renee since the No Man's Land days. And I have always loved the twisted connection that writer Greg Rucka gave the two characters with Two-Face mistaking compassion for romantic love and then turning it into a weapon. It's just, it's very creepy and very scary. Of course, we know that the villain will ultimately be defeated and Renee will be cleared and reinstated. The character is still around today, of course. But the ramifications of what Two-Face did linger for years to come this is a brilliantly written character piece that brings so much growth to a character that I have loved forever. The heartbreaking reality of what happens when she tries to reclaim her life still hurts to read. Michael Lark is on art duties here, and I'm just, I'm frankly not quite sure what more I have yeah, to say about God, that. Yeah, goddamn, that guy kicks ass. Gotham Central is another book with a lot going on at all times. And not only that, but it has a huge cast of characters. But that has never seemed like a detriment to me. Yes, there's a lot happening. Yes, it's the final issue of a storyline. But Rucka never punishes the reader for not knowing the minutia. Everything you need to enjoy, specifically Gotham Central number six, is right within its pages. Get out there and do it. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Um, I think the Two-Face thing goes even deeper than him just like confusing compassion for romantic love. I think it goes like almost to a, a macho place for that man that thinks he can fix a lesbian. It's very much like Two-Face is broken. Two-Face is fucked up. He's absolutely broken. And he's saying to her, you're just like me. You're, you've been living two lives. You're just like me. And what Two-Face doesn't understand is like, no, there's nothing wrong with me being a lesbian. I choose not to share that because it's mine and I can right. do what I want with it. And you took that power from me and yes, ruined my, my life. You know, my counterpoint to that is that it's not, it's not the typical machismo. So I gotcha. And we'll go round and round and round on this. I, yes, I, we with, sure will. <laughs> but I think Greg Rucka was telling an amazing story here that builds Montoya as such an incredible character. And the fact that this was her power was taken away in the sense that, 
yeah, at some point, her girlfriend wanted her to come out too. And of course, it's in the back of her mind. And she's going to do that someday. But it's hers. And she owns that. And yeah, Two-Face no, her, does. Her, her, he, she was robbed of her agency. And, and Two-Face does terrible. what is effectively the most evil thing he possibly could to this character to try and bring her to him. And it's just gut-wrenching the way it ends, too. There's a, this whole series was an incredible buy it. I love this series. Yeah, it's, it's a real treat. Gotham Central, if you've never read it, just you're missing out. And finally, we move to Transformers, more than meets the eye, number 15. I'll bet you didn't see this one coming. It's from IDW 2013. This one features Chrome Dome and Rewind, who were both lesser-known second-gen Transformers from the original toy line, but it wasn't until this series that the writer started to explore the idea of robots, most of which were male, mind you, and used male pronouns, having romantic relationships. This was written by James Roberts, with art by James Moline. Rodimus Prime has been leading a group through space, searching for the original Knights of Cybertron. The group has taken a very dangerous Decepticon named Overlord prisoner, but they're keep and they're keeping him in a cell that basically slows down time so he can't escape. But they need info from his memory banks to find the location of the Lost Knights. When Chrome Dome risks everything to read Overlord's memory banks, he finds out, a little too late, that the connection goes both ways, leaving Overlord to escape. Now, Chrome Dome did put in some precautions in place that would weaken the unstoppable Overlord, giving him just enough time to force the Decepticon back into his time cell and then eject it out into space in what is another gut-wrenching last page. Around the time that this comic came out, Chelsea Kane had just been chased off Twitter by neckbearded incels offended by her putting Mockingbird in a t-shirt that read, Ask me about my feminist agenda. At that same time, Roberts had contacted Hasbro about introducing the idea of homosexual transformer relationships with no pushback whatsoever. And Transformers fans seemed to take this in stride as well. I dug around looking for homophobic hate and really couldn't find anything. Just a lot of celebration of these two Transformers and their relationship. This creative team did an amazing job not only writing an excellent story, but introducing real humanity to the Transformers mythos, which, when you think about it, they're all dudes. This couldn't be more primed for a but gay love dudes, story. Yeah. They identify I get, I get as, your point. They're not, they're but, not dudes. But, but they identify it. as males. They use male pronouns. They use male pronouns, but... Oh, okay, I'm not, I don't want to start another argument. Yeah, I don't be, know that I'd be careful here, buddy. Right? As male. I'm giving this a buy it. I, I do think it's cool that they have started to explore those concepts, like the concept, the concept of, of uh, as we understand it, same-sex love. And I think that that's a wonderful thing. I, do I not necessarily understand the mechanics of it because they're robots? Sure. That doesn't matter, though. I'm not going to tell robots. Like, what matters is the perception of it. I'm not telling what, robots it, what love is, Joe Patrick. Sorry. My no, 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 no. Open. Come on. You know what I mean. <laughs> love is love, even when we're talking about robots. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think it's wonderful. Uh, and all that really matters is how it's perceived in the eye of the reader and abs- or the um, by the voice of the author. And obviously, the author intends for it to be that. 
And I think that that's wonderful. I think the way the fans that embraced it too is fucking kick ass. And like, yeah, Ro- I mean, I mean, Roberts, I, I don't did. really know a whole lot about Transformers fandom, but I think generally speaking, they're a pretty cool bunch. It seems like it. And Roberts, like, he did so much in this series where, like, introduced the idea that there were some, ro- there were some robots that transformed into things that were like more unique or more powerful than others. And it formed this whole societal structure. Where yeah, like yeah. Ro- some robots were looked at lesser than others and like all these human elements to it. This series is incredible. Really incredible. I love the idea. Like you said, the, the exploring the, uh, the hierarchical, hierarchical structure of Cybertronian society where it's like, well, I'm sorry, this guy gets to be a prime because he becomes this. Right. Well, and, and it but goes, you wait. don't get to be that. And it like it gets into this thing where like the Autobots or not even the Autobots because some of the Decepticons side with them. But they like start to realize like it's not about what we transform into or what we do. It's about the spark inside of you that makes you who yeah, you are. Yeah, it's not the size of your. Like, um, it's beautiful. That's beautiful. The it's Transformers not the have size souls. of your chassis. It's what you do with it. The Transformers have souls, you monster is what I'm trying to say. I know. Listen, I, I love the Transformers and you can't take that away from me and I'm sorry that I'm making jokes and it makes you uncomfortable but that's how I process them Transformers we talked about several comics featuring LGBTQIA plus characters but as usual only one can make the THN permanent collection Matt which of these characters was your favorite and are you picking the book they starred in today so North Star is my favorite because I just I love Alpha Flight so much and I've always loved North Star. But like if I'm picking one issue here that goes into the permanent collection, it I think it's got to be that Gotham Central Six. That issue is fucking incredible, and it is so it's a building block in the character that is Renee Montoya that just shows you how fucking tough she is and how she comes out of this and where she comes from, and it's from a run of comics at dc that we haven't seen that kind of quality since so it's gotham central number six. Oh yeah no that's yeah boy let me tell you it's time for joe's story time i re-upped my subscription to the dc service uh it, i had let it lapse because uh they kicked the tv shows to the curb and they rebranded and it was a whole deal so i started a new account and our, our part rather i restarted my account it is now dc infinite like the comics I've been reading on DC Unlimited and Marvel Unlimited are not even that old. But I'm gaining I'm getting so much more enjoyment out of them than I have been uh, some modern comics. And like they just don't make them. Like this era of DC, this is like a golden age of DC. Today. It really was. No, it really was. And Greg Rucka like represents like some of the best stuff that came out of this early 2000s. Definitely. Yeah. And so if you are a fan, I just want to urge people, if you are fans of Marvel or DC or both, and you like lament the long lost days of your favorite comics, get those apps. They're worth it. They're both worth it. They're much better than when they started. My pick is also, sorry, Gotham Central. <laughs> because it's amazing. It's everything you say. I, Montoya is my favorite. And this was my favorite issue of the bunch, though I do, I did, I do really love that Kevin Keller issue. You can find our picks of the week and the episodes review list on our Twitter and Facebook. If you want to read along now, it is your turn to shine nerd. Let us know what you thought about these comics and characters or anything you read on our live call-in show THN cover to cover this Saturday on Facebook live from 11 to noon 
Central Standard Time. And you know what? If we got something wrong, we're two fucking cisgendered straight guys here doing our best to learn. Yeah, you know, please. let us know. Right. I want to learn. And I'm an ally, I mean, you know? I mean, or, <laughs> come like, on. Right, yeah. Like, or, we're not going to get everything right. But also, please know, we don't need any angry emails because we're, our hearts are in the right place. <laughs> we don't even qualify like that. I'm trying to learn. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. If you're please pissed, understand our hearts are in the right place. That's I don't, on you. <laughs> I don't want to be put in a position where I feel like I have to defend myself because I'm trying my best. Now that our pride party is starting to cool off and the mole man's bamosa slush machine has run dry, it's time to sweat off our Vegas bomb hangovers in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum and discuss our must-read comic picks for next week. Matt, if you're buying only one comic off the stands next Wednesday, June 30th, what is it going to be? Next week, it has to be Barbaric, number one, from Vault Comics. It's $3.99. It's written by Michael Morrissey with art by Nathan Gooden. Here's your solicit. Oh, and the barbarian has been cursed to do good with what remains of his life. His bloodthirsty weapon, axe, has become his moral compass with a drinking problem. Together they wander the realm, foredoomed to help any who seek assistance. But there is one thing Owen hates more than a life with rules, witches. Welcome to the skull-cracking, blood-splattering, mayhem-loving comic, brave enough to ask, how can a man swore to do good do so much violence? Ha! fucking with you it's just barbaric <laughs> i love morrissey he wrote hoax hunters he worked in a book called roach limit wasted space we loved all those books gooden drew powerless he is very talented and the preview for this looks fucking awesome by the way these two creators could not be more excited for this comic it's gonna be fun joe patrick what's your pick for next week my pick for next week is Parasomnia, number one from Dark Horse Comics. It's written by Colin Bunn with art by Andrea Muti. Who is very busy, I might add. Yeah, getting around Jesus. that guy. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. Colin Bunn, Andrea Muti, from Colin Bunn and Andrea Muti, <laughs> comes a new dark fantasy tale. Are they going for SEO here? What is going on? I don't, I like, what, is, Dark Horse, are you Okay. <laughs> comes a new dark fantasy tale of two worlds split between dreams and reality. After his son disappears, a broken down man braves a nightmarish dreamscape in order to find him and battle the ruthless cult that seeks to rule the land of dreams as the barrier between realities starts to collapse. Uh, dark Horse says that this is for fans of The Sixth Gun, Harrow County, and Lock and Key. So you're telling me this is for fans of, that liked his other books and this other book that he didn't write, basically? Well, and also, <laughs> only one of those books is not from Dark Horse. Oh, so come on. Okay. They're not, they're not playing favorites All right. here. All right. Uh, yes, but yes. <laughs> this, this book is for fans of Cullen Bunn and uh, other books that are similar to Cullen Bunn. Totally down. This is what Cullen Bunn does, though. Uh, this is what he no, does yes, well. No, yes. I like, we, again... We are big Cullen Bun. We're we're big Bunheads on the show, uh, which is a shout out to my wife because Bunhead is a gymnastics thing, uh, and she loves gymnastics. Okay. Anyway, all right. The THN trade of the week goes to Green Arrow, the 80th anniversary, 100 page, super spectacular. You're saying, Matt, that is not a trade paperback. I agree, but it is 100 pages for 10 fucking dollars. So <laughs> we're treating I mean, what this a steal, one. though. This is written and drawn by Various. Here's your solicit. Celebrating the Emerald Archer's 80th anniversary! For the last eight decades, Green Arrow has been one of the premier and loudest characters in the DCU, always at the forefront of where the superhero genre is headed. I don't know if that's completely true, 
This oversized anniversary issue follows in those footsteps as an all-star lineup of Green Arrow creators alongside some of the gifted creators of the modern era who have been inspired by Oliver Queen unite to pay tribute to the battling bowmen. See what the past, present, and future have in store for Ollie Queen, Black Canary, Connor Hawk, Arsenal, Red Arrow, Speedy, and more in this epic special. Look, I'm glad the whole family's back. It might surprise you to to know that Arsenal, Red Arrow, and Speedy are in the present day all different characters. <laughs> well, but I mean, like, no, they established there was like Judd Winnick had a female Speedy. Yes, and uh, Red Arrow is a new character though. Red Arrow's a uh, new well, character from the New Fifty Two. Yeah, I guess I should say Red Arrow's a new character. So I mean, it's not that weird. Come on. Yes, I know. I just think it's funny yeah. that Arsenal, Red Arrow, and Speedy were all the same guy, and now they're not. Sure. I mean, it's been a bunch of Robins too. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, fair. That's totally fair. One hundred percent. Be sure to pre-order these comics if you're looking for a quality read. And don't forget to pick up the THN Book Club read for June. As a reminder, it is the Downriver People graphic novel from Boom Studios by Adrian Smith and Matt Fox. Excelsior! That is it for THN 625. And next week, we are back to reviewing new comics and... You're going to get a little bite-sized taste of our Take a Look It's in a Book Club segment where, as Joe just mentioned, we're discussing Boom Studios' new cult thriller, The Downriver People, with our buddy Nick Garcia. If you want to rap about this week's episode, tell us what we got wrong. We totally get it, and we'd like to hear it. Or any of the weekly nerdy news we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover, every Saturday at 11 Central Standard Time. And when I say every Saturday... I'm lying because it's not this Saturday, but normally it's it's most Saturdays. (laughs) It's hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget about our question of the week. This week's question came from John Tverdick. He totally stole it from some rando on Instagram. Yeah, but we heard it from John. totally fine. He he should have said it's his and we'd be like, that's cool. Great idea, man. I want him to know I know. I want him to know (laughs) that I know. You get to insert one superhero. This is key now. It's a superhero. Doesn't have to be Marvel or DC, but it has to be a superhero. Into a horror show or movie franchise. Name the character, name the franchise. All right. The example from the question was inserting Batman into the Saw franchise to solve the jigsaw crimes. Love it. Uh, Please do continue to hit us with your question of the week suggestions, very much like John did. And we appreciate that, even though I teased him. You can call us at 402-819-4894, or you can join our Zoom by clicking the link on the Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, or leave a message on the hotline, and you could be internet famous. Uh, If you are going to send a message or leave a message, please keep it to two minutes or less so that we can share the air with everybody that wants to play live. That's just how it goes. If you're new to the show and you are not going to listen to anymore until we finally just kiss and get it over with, I assure you it's only because you just haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com, but hosting that many episodes in a cheap. So we want to thank donors like Christy Leupold? Leupold. 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 It's L-E-U. I'm saying Leupold. You know, I don't know. Sorry, Christy. But guess what? Two women, two women in two weeks. We're doing it. We're cleaning up this stinky locker room. Wait right? till they hear this show. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to RuPaul, 
who has not only lifted drag to new levels, but she's proven crossovers aren't just for comics. When the ladies of RuPaul's Drag Race team up with Paramount Plus for a remake of the classic Brady Bunch episode, will the real Jan Brady please stand up? I can't wait. (laughs) They're going to like insert a bunch of famous drag queens into the old episode. What, like Forrest Gump style? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I'm totally down. <laughs> All right. Well, word to you, RuPaul. More uh, power to you. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just tell you to sashay away. This you better work. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Now play the music and bring out my girls! 